0: Welcome to the History Raid Podcast, I'm your host, Kieran Kovach. Today's topic, Miyamoto Musashi, the Sword Saint of Japan. I feel like everyone who has studied history, particularly military history, has had this question crossed their mind at some point. Who was the greatest warrior, or the greatest soldier, of all time? In our current age of action stars and superheroes, the idea of individuals who are so martially proficient they can face down impossible odds and win, who can defeat enemies whose own strength and skill is considered indefatigable, is very alluring and very entertaining. Modern audiences. Think of your John Wicks, your Arnie action heroes, and the whole host of premier superheroes and heroines. People can't get enough of these figures. But, of course, to say that this is purely an obsession of people in the present day is incorrect. The gladiators of the Roman Arena were kitted out in the armour and weapons of their own soldiers and of the many different cultures that Rome had defeated, satiating the curiosity of arena-goers as to who would win if these different kinds of warriors fought and ultimately which style of fighting was superior. The Chronicles of Human History is full of stories of great warriors, with many of these chronicles actively comparing their warrior subjects to other renowned warriors and asserting the superiority of their own subjects. If any of you out there right now are hungry for the answer as to who is truly the greatest warrior of all time, the subject of today's episode may just see you leaving satisfied. Miyamoto Musashi, whose full name was, and again this is going to be a test in my Japanese pronunciation going forward. Shinmen Musashi no Kami Fujiwara no Genshin was born in the village of Miyamoto in the central Japanese province of Harima in 1584. His mother, Omasa, about who we know little, died shortly after his birth, leaving him to be raised solely by his father, the renowned samurai Shinmen Munisai. In many ways, the circumstances of Musashi's birth meant his path in life was predetermined. The society of feudal Japan was heavily caste based. While a strict division between the different classes and a lack of opportunities for social advancement was not unusual in feudal societies, Japan's feudal system had a pronounced spiritual element to it, somewhat akin to the Indian caste system that saw social mobility cast as something of an abomination. A Japanese peasant, born into the peasant class, would see any effort to advance upwards into the samurai warrior class result in mockery and attempts on their life. Conversely, a samurai who laid their weapons down and became a merchant, a profession whose practitioners were ranked even lower than peasants, would be regarded with intense contempt if their heritage was ever discovered. From birth, Musashi was destined to be raised as a Samurai warrior, and he was born in a seemingly auspicious time for his caste. Since 1467, Japan had been in a state of near constant warfare. The waning power of the Ashikaga Shogunate, the hereditary military dictatorship who ruled Japan in the name of the Emperor, saw the Daimyo, the warrior nobility of Japan, begin to war against each other to fill the power vacuum. Musashi was specifically born during the reign of the shogun Toyotomi Hideyoshi, the second warlord to climb to the top of the proverbial pile, under whose iron-fisted rule, the samurai's lust for warfare had been satiated in two successive attempted invasions of China via Korea. This so-called Sengoku period of civil instability and foreign military adventures would last until 1615 and would be regarded as the golden age of the Japanese samurai, with their services in great demand, their prestige and wealth reaching newfound heights. In this golden age of samurai warriors, the life of his father meant that Musashi had a lot to live up to. Munisai had been born in ronin a masterless samurai. More fortunate samurai would have been born into samurai families employed by a daimyo, enjoying either their revenues from a personal fiefdom, or a regular stipend from their master. Less fortunate samurai like Munasai were born into ronin families, who due to the aforementioned strict caste system, had one of two choices either prove themselves warriors worthy of being hired by a member of the nobility and go on to instruct others in martial arts, or become a glorified bandit, intimidating and abusing the local peasantry in order to get by. Musashi's father proved to be the former kind of Ronin. Sometime before Musashi's birth, Munasai had travelled to the then Japanese capital of Kyoto to fight in a sword fencing competition in front of Shogun Ashikaga Yoshiteru himself. His opponent was Yoshioka Kenpo, the personal sword instructor to the Shogun and the founder of the prestigious Yoshioka-Ru School of Swordsmanship. The contest between the two samurai was best out of three, with Munisai winning two bouts to Yoshioka's one. Having proven his considerable skill, the shogun named Munisai unrivaled under the sun in honour of his victory, and this whole affair sparked a rather nasty feud between Munisai's family and the Yoshioka family. Munisai's newfound fame would see him hired as an instructor to the daimyo Shinmen Soka, who resided in western Kyoto. While working for Shinmen, Munisai began training his son in the samurai martial arts, determined that Musashi would live up to his legacy. From what we know about their relationship, Musashi got along very poorly with his father from a young age. Munasai's training was very brutal. Think JK Simmons in Whiplash, only with weapons, considerably more physical violence, and instead of Miles Taylor you have a boy under the age of 10. It is believed that Munasai's regular transgressions from rigor into outright abuse was partly a result of Musashi's habit of talking back to his father and criticising his father's techniques, a defiant and headstrong attitude he would display for much of his life. Around the age of 9 or 10, the antagonism between Musashi and his father would climax, with Munasai throwing a dagger at his son's head. When Musashi dodged the lethal, lethal projectile, Munasai threw him out of their house, effectively disowning him. Musashi would travel westwards to the village of Hirafuku, where his uncle Dorin, a local priest, took him in. Dorin would teach Musashi how to read and write, as well as the principles of Buddhism, Musashi having previously only learned how to fight. Skills he would continue to practice away from his uncle. From this point onwards, we'll be getting into the really juicy history of Musashi's samurai career, and I feel it is necessary to throw in a disclaimer. While Musashi's fame means he is a well-documented individual, the exact details of his life, and more specifically, his incredible deeds and achievements, are debated to this day. To begin with, much of what we know about Musashi either comes from his own writings, from those who were students of Musashi later in life. As such, everything from this point forward should be taken with a pinch of salt. In 1596, Musashi would fight his first duel at the ripe old age of thirteen. Kihei, a wandering samurai, would arrive in Hirofuku and place a sign in the centre of the village with a challenge written on it, daring any local samurai test their skills against them in a duel to the death. The impetuous Musashi, keen to prove himself against an actual opponent, signed his name on the sign, accepting Arima's challenge. When Doran discovered this, he quickly sought out Arima, begging him to refuse his nephew's challenge, informing him of his age. Arima agreed to call off the duel if Musashi apologised to him redeeming the honor that dorin would otherwise lose if he declined the challenge wasashi arrived to the duel at the scheduled time bringing with him a 6-foot wooden fighting staff i can only imagine the apparent mismatch onlookers would have seen a boy barely in his teenage years wielding a practice weapon taller than he was facing down an adult samurai armed with a sword Musashi refused to back down however, seeing his uncle desperately try and apologise for him. Musashi took advantage of the distraction to charge Arima. Arima lashed out with his sword, but Musashi avoided the attack before knocking Arima to the ground with his staff. When Arima tried to regain his feet, Musashi hit him between the eyes before proceeding to beat him to death. Musashi would live with his uncle for another 3 years before leaving Hirafuku, to live the life of a wandering ronin, leaving most of his possessions with his uncle. 1599 would prove a relatively uneventful first year for Musashi, with him seemingly only fighting a handful of duels against obscure opponents, winning all of them. The year 1600 would see Musashi get his first taste of war. The death of shogun Totoyomi Hideyoshi in 1598 would see a new power vacuum open up in Japan, and in 1600, the powerful daimyo Tokugawa Ieyasu would make a move to seize the shogunate away from Hideyoshi's young son Hideyori. Musashi enlisted with the pro-Hideyori forces, and apparently fought in the sieges of Fushimi and Gifu castles before being present at the climactic Battle of Sekikahara in October 1600. Musashi would ultimately find himself on the losing end of this battle, escaping the vengeful Tokugawans in the aftermath of the battle. This, by the way, is an excellent opportunity to poke a hole in some myths about the samurai. People nowadays tend to have a rather romanticised view of samurai, regarding them all as paragons of like virtue and martial honour, A cursory glance over samurai history quickly reveals these ideas are kind of bunk, with samurai perfectly capable of murdering and backstabbing one another. Furthermore, the practice of ritual suicide, seppuku, in response to finding themselves dishonoured, tended to be something that samurai were forced into, either by intense social pressure, such as the death of their master, or the prospect of execution. Musashi, who as a ronin owed no direct loyalty to those he fought under, was able to fly under the radar and did not cut short his own career after his defeat at Segigahara. In 1603, Musashi would reappear in historical records, having seemingly spent the previous three years training and fighting low level duels. Musashi would travel to Kyoto, to seek out the Yoshioka family, the clan that Musashi's father had started a feud with. The Yoshioka family headed the most renowned sword school in all of Japan at the time, and Musashi knew that defeating a member of this family would not only honour his family's feud with them, but would also earn him great public recognition. Upon arriving in Kyoto, Musashi took the go big or go home approach and challenged Yoshioka Sejiro, the patriarch of the Yoshioka clan, and the head of their sword school. After learning Musashi was the son of Shinmen Munisai, Sejiro eagerly accepted his challenge, and stated that the duel would be with wooden swords, and the first person to land a blow on the other would win. On the 8th of March 1604, Sejiro arrived in the agreed place at a temple in northern Kyoto, but would be left waiting for hours, with Musashi deliberately showing up late. When Musashi did finally show up, he wore a plain, unwashed robe, and his hair was overgrown and unkempt. He also had not bathed for a long time, and must have smelled quite bad. Already irritated by the long wait, Sajiro was enraged by Musashi's shabby presentation and his apparent complete disregard for his own rudeness, with Musashi coming across as entirely zen and uncaring upon his arrival. By the way, Musashi's appearance at this duel was not unusual, During this time as a travelling ronin, Wasashi did not wear fine clothes, care for his hair beyond keeping it out of his eyes, or concern himself over much with bathing. While this may have been partly due to a lack of money, Wasashi's own personal philosophy, which I'll touch on more later in this episode, saw him largely disregard personal comforts or vanities. When the duel commenced, Musashi instantly cast away his calm, carefree demeanor, leaping at Seijiro in a lightning-fast attack. With his usual focus clouded by anger and Musashi's calm demeanor, Seijiro did not react in time. Musashi's hard wooden sword smashed into his left shoulder with enough force to permanently cripple the arm. Following the loss of an arm and his utter defeat at the hands of Musashi, Seijiro retired to live as a monk, passing on leadership of the school to his younger brother, Denjikiro. Denjikiro was unwilling to let this humiliation of his family go unpunished, and challenged Musashi to a duel, this time to the death. Musashi agreed to the duel, and Denjikiro arrived on time to the agreed place, the same temple that Musashi had beaten his brother at, armed with a staff reinforced with steel rings. Musashi, once again, showed up hours late, finally arriving, armed with a long wooden practice sword called a bokuto to face a livid Denchikiro. Quick aside here, Musashi did own a katana long sword and a wakizashi short sword, the two weapons all samurai was supposed to carry. His decision to wield the bokuto to this duel and many others was seemingly part of the psychological mind games that Musashi played with his opponents, with his opponents becoming overconfident when facing such a weapon, failing to appreciate the level of blunt force that Musashi could inflict until it was too late. Expecting Musashi to try and catch him off guard as he had done with his older brother, Denshikiro charged Musashi in a furious rage. Musashi had anticipated this move and instead calmly evaded Denshikiro's attack, proceeding to either kill him with a single blow to the head or by wrestling Denshikiro's staff away from him and beating him to death with it. With Denshikiro's death, the third Yoshioka brother, the 12 year old Yoshioka Machikiro, was left as the head of the Yoshioka clan. Uh, Machikiro decided that the best course of action was to triple down, challenging Musashi to a duel to salvage what was left of his family's honour. I know this sounds crazy, a 12-year-old challenging a 21-year-old warrior to a fight to the death, but this is a feudal warrior society. Kids gotta grow up fast. Musashi, who unsurprisingly had no objections to boy-on-man fights to the death, accepted the challenge and agreed to meet at a temple outside of Kyoto. Musashi was suspicious at the change of location and the fact that Machikiro had declared the duel would take place at night. As such, Musashi broke with his own tradition, arriving early at the temple and hiding himself, waiting for Machikiro to show up. Machikiro showed up on time, but in full armour, a violation of the terms agreed. More significantly however, Machikiro was accompanied by a force of students from the Yoshioka school, numbering in at least the dozens armed to the teeth with swords, bows, and muskets. Matsukuro instructed his men to hide themselves and ambush Musashi when he arrived. The fact that this duel would have taken place at night and away from the city meant that these extremely dirty tactics would go unreported. Musashi seemingly decided that if Matsukuro wasn't going to play fair, neither was he. He lay in wait until the moment was just right before sprinting out of his hiding spot, drawing his katana and decapitating the boy before he could react. Yep, you heard that right. Miyamoto Musashi, the future exalted embodiment of what it is meant to be a samurai, cut off a 12 year old boy's head in cold blood. History gets pretty wild well, folks, it's spiral here. Machigiro's followers, though initially disoriented by Musashi's sudden attack, attempted to swarm him, and overwhelm him with sheer numbers. During the melee, Musashi drew his short sword, and began to simultaneously wield both his swords, one in each hand. This is believed to be the genesis of one of Musashi's most famous legacies, the Nitrin Ichi Ryu, or the School of the Strategy of Two Heavens is One sword fighting technique. Quick aside, as you may be aware, the dual wielding of swords is a fairly common occurrence in popular media. Just off the top of my head, the Star Wars universe and like, various action role-playing games like Skyrim feature characters fighting a sword in each hand, often as a badass hero moment. It also seems to be a rather intuitive way of fighting, doesn't it? Double the weapons means doubling both your ability to attack and defend yourself, right? Historically however, warriors fighting with a weapon in each hand was very uncommon, with such an approach having two major drawbacks. Firstly, to wield a single weapon effectively requires a great deal of focus. Dividing your attention between two different weapons, often going in two different directions, and attempting to simultaneously attack and block, would likely result in ineffective flailing. Secondly, wielding weapon in each hand means that you can only put the strength of one arm and the weight of half your body into an attack, meaning that even if you hit an opponent, the wound you inflict will likely be insignificant. At the same time, If an opponent is swinging or thrusting a weapon at you with their full strength and weight behind it, an attempt to block or deflect the blow with a single weapon would likely see the force of the blow knock your weapon aside or out of your hand entirely. However, this isn't any old swordsman we're talking about now, is it? This is Miyamoto Musashi, a guy who apparently did have both the focus required to essentially have his razor sharp mind in two places at once, and also the physical strength to inflict telling wounds and block strong attacks. Regardless of whether this was a technique that Musashi had been developing, or a desperate action in a desperate situation, Musashi's whirlwind of steel allowed him to cut his way through the Yoshioka men, making it back to the safety of Kyoto. Word of Musashi's deeds quickly spread through the city, and the reputation of the Yoshioka school never recovered. Musashi had become a legend virtually overnight. Following this series of duels, Musashi left Kyoto to seek out the monks of the Enkoji Temple, monks who were renowned as masters of fighting with a spear. Quick note here despite the pacifistic preachings of Buddhism, not all Buddhist monks are pacifists. In some cases, such as the Shaolin Temple in China, Monks became proficient in martial arts as a response to bandits and others who sought to steal the wealth of Buddhist monasteries. In the case of Japan, the origin of the Sohei warrior monks was in several vicious political disputes between different monasteries that escalated to the point that monasteries began to form their own private armies. In fact, during the early 16th century, There was a number of monasteries which actually through their private armies and wealth, wielded a great deal of power until they were rather brutally brought to heel by the shogun Oda Nobunaga. When Musashi arrived at the Enkoji Temple, he proved himself to the monks by defeating their finest warrior in a non-lethal duel. Impressed by Musashi's skill, the head monk Tada Hanzaburo Gave Musashi his first teaching job, asking him to instruct his grandson in the use of the sword. Musashi would stay at Enjikiro Temple for about a year. What Musashi was up to between 1605 to 1612 is unclear. Some sources say Musashi embarked on a Musa Shiguro, a formal warrior pilgrimage where he wandered across Japan, seeking adventure, glory, and honour. During this journey, he supposedly killed the famed samurai Shishido Baike, a master of the Kusuri a sickle-like blade attached by a chain to a heavy iron weight. Wasashi also supposedly encountered and fought a non-lethal duel against another up-and-coming samurai by the name of Muso Gonosuke. What I'm going to say next should be taken with a huge pinch of salt, for the reasons I have previously stated and those I'm about to state, but I think this is interesting to include. While Musashi would claim later in life to have fought over 60 duels and not lost a single one, future disciples of Muso Gonosuke would claim that following his defeat at Musashi's hands, Gonosuke would develop a stick fighting technique designed to be the ultimate counter to opponents armed swords. He would apparently prove the efficacy of his technique by defeating Musashi in a rematch. Naturally, this apparent stain on Musashi's record was furiously denied by Chronicles of Musashi's own life, and we can't know for certain here who is telling the truth, if Musashi or Gonosuke even met at all. An alternative, if somewhat boring telling, of Musashi's life between 1605 and 1612 was that he returned to Kyoto and opened up his own dojo. His considerable renown at this point saw him supposedly flooded with students who further spread his legend and his technique of fighting with two swords across Japan. In 1612, at the age of 30, musashi would fight his most famous duel. His opponent was Sazaki Kujiro, a highly renowned swordsman who fought his duels with a Nodachi. The Nodachi is a long and heavy sword originally designed to sever the legs of horses in battle, and was generally considered impractical for one-on-one duels. Sasaki apparently had the skill to overcome these difficulties, and found that the length of the sword allowed him to catch opponents off guard, with him being able to hit them at a distance they were not familiar with. His prowess as a duelist saw him earn the title, the Demon of the Western Provinces. Musashi and Kajiro agreed to fight on the small island of Funajima on April 13th. As is to be expected at this point, Musashi showed up hours late, having hired a local fisherman to row him out to the island when he felt the time was right. On his ride over, Musashi took a spare oar and carved it into a wooden sword of considerable length. When Musashi arrived, he continued his psychological mind games. One version of the story has a furious Kojiro hurling insults at an implacably straight-faced Musashi. The other version of the story has Kojiro angrily drawing his sword as Musashi was getting off his boat before carelessly throwing the sheath into the water. Musashi responded to this act of frustration by declaring that he had already won, on account that Kojiro clearly did not plan to resheath his sword. When the duel commenced, Kajiro tried to use the length of his sword to his advantage, but Musashi's footwork saw the attack narrowly miss. Musashi then retaliated, his crude wooden sword deliberately carved to be slightly longer than Kajiro's sword, turning his own tactic against him. Musashi's return attack either hit Kajiro in the temple, fracturing his skull, or in his ribs, breaking them and puncturing Kajiro's lungs. In either event, Musashi killed Kajiro and further established his reputation as the greatest swordsman in Japan. Before we move on, I'd like to make a quick comment on Musashi's tendency to show up late to duels. Understandably, many listeners might argue that Musashi's reputation as an unequal swordmaster is undeserved as some of his opponents may have been as equal or even superior in swordsmanship and that his victory hinged on psychological tactics. Musashi himself did not see it this way, regarding sword fighting as a form of strategy and that it is reasonable to glean any kind of additional advantage over your opponent within the purview of a duel with agreed weapons. As for Musashi's reasons for showing up late to his duel with Kojiro, there are a number of possible reasons, none of whom are mutually exclusive by the way. Firstly, he may have been trying to anger and unnerve Kojiro as he had done with the Yoshioka brothers. Secondly, some accounts of the duel describe Kojiro missing his attack due to the sun being in his eyes. Musashi may have arrived at a time when the sun was low in the sky and maneuvered Kojiro into a position where the sun would be in his eyes. Finally, Musashi may have timed his arrival to coincide with the turning of the tide. Kojiro was accompanied to Funajima by an entourage of his students and local officials to observe the duel. Musashi may have had the reasonable concern that after killing Kojiro, his entourage might try and avenge him, requiring Musashi to make a hasty escape on his boat. After a few years of further private teaching, Musashi would once again find himself marching off to war. In 1614, the new shogunate Tokugawa Ieyasu marched against Toduyomi Hideyori. Ieyasu had usurped Hideyori's right birthright to the shogunate and now that Hideori had come of age, Ieyasu came to see him as a threat. While sources disagree over which side he fought with, it seems to me that Musashi most likely fought in Ieyasu's army. On the way to Ozaka Castle, Hideori's mighty stronghold, Musashi found himself accompanying the prominent samurai Nakagawa Sumanosuke. Records of the fighting around Ozaka Castle gives us our first glimpse of Musashi's. Prowess on the battlefield. During one of the minor clashes that took place on Ieyasu's March to Osaka, Musashi placed himself in the centre of a wooden bridge, armed with only his trusty wooden bokto. Musashi allegedly killed and wounded dozens of foes before the enemy force retreated. When Ieyasu's forces finally reached Osaka Castle, a brutal siege commenced. Nakagawa Samanosuke, who had seemingly grown close with Musashi, went into battle alongside him, accompanied by two of his three sons, who he had brought with him on the campaign, the third being too young to fight. While Ieyasu's forces would successfully take Osaka Castle in mid 1650, resulting in Hideyori's apparent suicide, Samanasuke and his two elder sons would be killed during the storming of one of Osaka Castle's many gates, leaving his younger son. Mikinosuke without a family. Musashi, possibly with the permission of a mortally wounded Tsumanosuke, adopted Mikinosuke. Following the Ozaki campaign, Musashi would find himself in the service of the daimyo Ogasawara Tadanao. It would be during this time that Musashi would reveal himself to be something of a Japanese renaissance man and this is a big reason why Musashi would be so highly regarded after his death. You see, Japanese samurai weren't just expected to be warriors, they were also expected to display cultural virtues and artistic abilities. For example, the traditional Japanese tea ceremony, initially conceived by Buddhist monks, was popularised by samurai. Also, samurai committing ritual suicide were expected to write a so-called death poem before they killed themselves, the quality of which would become a major part of their legacy. Musashi's official job title, while in Tadanao's service, was construction supervisor, his job being to oversee the construction of Akashi Castle. Musashi took to this task with great enthusiasm, with the castle being constructed in a single year. Remarkably fast work for the time. During their construction, Musashi was apparently a meticulous micromanager, signing off on the placement of every stone and the planting of every tree, ensuring that the castle would be both formidable and majestic. Musashi would not neglect his martial skills during this time, continuing to instruct students, apparently advertising himself as a specialist in the use of throwing stars, demonstrating the breadth of his skills in martial arts. In 1617, Musashi and his son travelled to Hameji Castle to visit its lord, Honda Tadamasa. Musashi and Tadamasa had both fought at Osaka Castle and had become friends. Musashi requested that his friend grant his son, Mikonosuke, a position within his household to kickstart his own samurai career. Tadamasa agreed, making Mikinosuke a page to his eldest son, Honda Tadatoki. The next nine years were uneventful for Musashi and are believed to have been the happiest of his life. He would spend six years travelling around Japan before finding himself in the new Japanese capital, Edo, modern day Tokyo. While in Edo, he befriended and spent much time with Hayashi Reza, a Confucian scholar and advisor to the new shogun Tokugawa Hiratada, Perhaps at Reza's urging, Musashi applied to become the new swordmaster to the shogun, but ultimately failed. While in Edo, he also adopted his second son, Miyamoto Iori, the orphan son of a local samurai. In 1626, tragedy would strike the Miyamoto family. After a long battle with tuberculosis, Honda Tadatoki died. By the time of his death, Musashi's son Mikinosuke had come of age and was serving as a retainer to Tadamasa. With Tadamasa's death, tradition demanded that Mikinosuke kill himself. Mikinosuke was given a short period of time to put his affairs in order, time he used to travel to Edo to meet his new brother and inform his father of his imminent suicide. Musashi was apparently grief stricken for a year, leaving Edo in 1627 for the town of Akashi, the local lord Osoagawa Tadazane having invited him to design the gardens for his new castle. While in Akashi, Musashi looked to secure the future of his second son Iori. Apparently Iori wasn't much of a swordsman, something which Musashi admitted to Tadazine, but was diligent and hardworking. In 1628, Tadazane agreed to take Iori into his service. Iori would prove to be a very, t- very talented retainer, and by 1637, he had risen to the prestigious rank of chief retainer, Okazawa Tadazane. Yeah, very confident I'm mispronouncing that name, but hey, the show must go on. When Tadasane moved to the southern Japanese island of Kyushu in 1634, Masashi followed him so he could be close to Iori, settling in the town of Kokura. While in Kokura, he opened another dojo and instructed both students and masters in the art of fighting with two swords. It is also believed that during his time in Kokura, Musashi fathered his only biological child, a girl called... Tachibana Minehira. The identity of the child's mother is unknown, and Minehira tragically passed away when she was only three years old. Her death apparently rendered Musashi inconsolable, his grief so passionate that even Musashi's own students felt it was unbecoming of him. Musashi would bury his daughter in an unknown spot and would refuse to speak of her for the rest of his life. This, by the way, is why I kind of love Miyamoto Musashi. Even if only half the stories about this guy are true, this guy was one of the scariest fighters to ever live. That aside, in the writings about him, you can't help but see his softer side coming through. Musashi is a loving father, a fierce friend, and a lover of the arts. It would seem that much of the fire that had driven Musashi in his younger years had ebbed after his duel with Kojiro and the death of his first son. At this point in his life, Musashi only fought non-lethal duels, and he would continue to only fight non-lethal duels for the rest of his life. In fact, during his later years, Musashi apparently forsook carrying swords in public, carrying only a sturdy wooden staff. In many other ways, however, Musashi was still the same. Even as a renowned, well-off swordmaster, Musashi continued to wear his plain tatty robes and would fairly bathe. Even though he was in his 50s, Musashi would continue to prove himself in duels during his time in Kokura. A notable duel Musashi fought was against a renowned spearmaster by the name of Takeda Matabe. Musashi and Matabe fought in a formal duel in the presence of Ogasawara Tetezane, Musashi armed with two wooden swords, and Matabe with a bamboo spear. Matabe successfully fended off two assaults by Musashi, but ultimately failed to prevent Musashi from hitting him a third time. Musashi would state that during this third assault, Matabe's spear had touched him in the leg, making the duel a technical draw and a possible stain on Musashi's unbroken winning streak. However, it is noted that no one present at the duel saw Matabe's touch, so it is possible that Musashi had taken a liking to Matabe and was dabbling in some white lies. Musashi would achieve a much more decisive win during the same period against a wandering ronin called Takagi Umanosuke. Takagi faced Musashi armed with a Tachi longsword, while Musashi had only his twin wooden swords. Musashi evaded Omanosuke's opening lunge, striking him hard in the face with his counterattack. Omanosuke was knocked backwards in a daze, and with lightning speed, the aging Musashi dashed forward, thrusting his thumb into Omanosuke's chest, his solar plexus specifically, sending him sprawling backwards onto the floor, to the amazement of onlookers. Musashi would embark on his third and final military campaign in 1638. The arrival of Catholic missionaries in Japan in 1549 had seen many Japanese lords and commoners convert to Christianity, the centre of Japanese Christianity becoming the island of Kyushu. While Japan remained embroiled in conflict, the presence of Christians was grudgingly tolerated by wider Japanese society, the wealth and weaponry the trade with Portugal and Spain provided being too valuable to be worth endangering over religious matters. With the restoration of order to Japan by the Tokugawa shogunate, the presence of foreigners in Japan was deemed unnecessary, and their religion a source of disunity and discontent. Religious persecution and heavy taxation by local daimyo saw starving peasants and discontent ronin in northwestern Kyushu rise up in rebellion, led by a devoutly christian 17-year-old samurai called Amakusa Shiro. Accompanied by Miyamoto Yori, Ogasawara Tadazane set off with a coalition of Adaimyos to crush the rebellion. Wasashi requested that he be allowed to join Tadazane's force in order to serve alongside his son, Tadazane agreed, signing Musashi as part of an escort for his elder son Nagatsugu. The decisive engagement of the Shimabara rebellion would be the siege of Hara Castle, a brutal siege that would last over three months. During the siege, Musashi remained close to Tadazane, forgoing armour and steel weapons in favour of basic silks and his wooden staff. At one point during the siege, Tadazane and his entourage came dangerously close to the walls, and were pelted with rocks by the defenders. Seeing the danger, Musashi apparently leapt in front of Tadazane's horse, deflecting the oncoming stones of his staff. It is believed that Musashi was wounded during this display of heroics, with Musashi mentioning in a letter that he was hit by two rocks during the siege, and as such, it is unclear whether he took part in the slaughter of the occupants of Hara Castle once the walls were breached. As for Musashi's son Iori, it would seem that Tadazane remembered Musashi's advice, keeping him out of the fighting. It would also seem that Iori's other skills, presumably in the form of organisation and leadership, was of great use to Tadazane's forces, as Iori was praised for his services and rewarded with an increased stipend after the rebellion. In 1640, At the age of 56, Musashi entered the service of the daimyo Hosokawa Tadatoshi. Tadatoshi honoured Musashi with 17 retainers of his own and Chiba Castle as his personal residence. This, in essence, marked Musashi's retirement, with Musashi shifting his focus towards writing and other creative pursuits such as painting and calligraphy, several examples of which you can still find in Japanese art museums today. I really recommend looking up some of Musashi's art. It's quite beautiful, and it's obvious that Musashi applied the same level of focus and diligence to his artwork as his swordsmanship. However, it would ultimately be in his writings that Musashi really looked to secure his legacy. His first book was called 35 Instructions on Strategy, that he wrote for his master, Tadatoshi in 1641. By the way, when Musashi talks about strategy, What he is talking about is warfare very broadly. He's both talking about the individual skills of a warrior and the ability of a warrior to command troops on the battlefield and fight an opposing army. When Musashi began to suffer from a neurological disorder in 1642, he likely realized he didn't have much time left to secure his legacy. To ensure he could focus fully on his work he retired to a cave in 1643 to finish his writings. In early 1645, Musashi finished his seminal work, The Book of Five Rings. At this point, it is believed he was dying for lung cancer. At the beginning of June 1645, he finished writing his final work, The Way of Walking Alone, On June 13th, Musashi passed away. Apparently Musashi felt the moment of his death coming and seated himself with one knee raised, a sword in one hand and his cane in the other. In this dignified position, he died, age 62. Musashi's armoured body would be interred with honours in the village of Yuge in modern-day Kumamoto prefecture. Nine years after Musashi's death, His son Iori would erect a monument on Temokiyama Hill, overlooking the site his father had won his famous duel against Sazaki Kojiro. When Iro passed away in 1678 at the age of 66, presumably after a peaceful and prosperous life, his body was buried alongside the monument in honour of his father. Before I wrap up Miyamoto Musashi's story, I would like to talk a little bit about two of his writings starting with The Book of Five Rings. The Book of Five Rings is a book some listeners might have been aware of even before listening to his podcast. It is essentially an elaboration on his previous work, 35 Instructions for Strategy, where Musashi tries to elaborate on his beliefs regarding strategy and includes some additional commentary. The book's name is derived from the fact that the work is split into five different books. Although the complete work itself is only about 43 pages long, so it is easy to regard each book as simply a chapter. The first book is The Book of Earth. It serves as an introduction to Musashi's overall thinking and what it means to be a warrior. Uh, Specifically, Musashi utilises his knowledge of construction to draw comparisons between an effective carpenter and an effective warrior, making note of such things as the importance of the carpenter taking good care of his tools and following closely the instructions of his foreman. The second book is the Book of Water. Musashi spends this book talking about the relationship between spirituality and strategy through a Buddhist lens, and elaborates on his twin sword fighting style. Specifically, Musashi talks through the basics of how you should stand in combat, how you should look at the enemy and how you should move your feet. He then walks the reader through a number of different combat scenarios and combat techniques to successfully respond with in each scenario. The third book is The Book of Fire. Musashi dedicates more time talking about ideas of strategy that can be applied in battle here, not just duels. In both arenas, Musashi places a great deal of emphasis on the importance and utility of good timing. The fourth book, which is personally my favorite part of the whole work, is the Book of Wind. This book sees Musashi critique other contemporary schools of sword fighting in comparison to his own. Musashi's cutting, and yes, there is a pun, and blunt commentary which, again, I suppose in the context of a guy who mostly uses a wooden sword can also be considered some pun, is quite entertaining, in my opinion. It is interesting to note that in these first four books, Musashi frequently ends sections by instructing the reader to conduct further research and carry out extensive training in these ideas and techniques themselves. Essentially, while Musashi realises the potential value of his combat experience and styles of fighting, in writing his book he was very conscientious that simply reading about how to be an excellent swordsman or a general makes for a good introduction, but practice and experience is what really matters at the end of the day. Musashi finishes his work with The Book of the Void. Despite the somewhat ominous name this book is only one page long, with it essentially involving Musashi esoterically bookending the whole work, emphasising that students of strategy must learn to understand and comprehend what they cannot currently understand or comprehend. The Book of Five Rings became very influential after Musashi's death. Many of you might have heard of Bushido, the Way of the Warrior a set of ideas of how samurai should conduct themselves, somewhat akin to European chivalry. Would it surprise you to learn that despite samurai having been around from at least the 10th century, the concept of Bushido didn't exist until the 17th century? There were certain influential traditions and literary musings on what it meant to be a samurai before the 17th century, but it was only in the 17th to 19th century so-called Edo period of Japanese history when Japan's isolationism and internal stability essentially saw samurai switch from being warriors to policemen and administrators. Their efforts began to craft a cohesive identity for the Samurai class and principles that would guide them in their conduct. Whether you choose to associate the idea of Bushido more with the romantic idea of Samurai Paragons or Japan's brutal war crimes during the Second World War, much of our modern-day ideas about Bushido comes from Miyamoto Musashi. The way of walking alone, by Miyamoto Musashi 1. Accept everything just the way it is 2. Do not seek pleasure for its own sake 3. Do not, under any circumstances, depend on a partial feeling 4. Think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world 5. Be detached from desire your whole life long 6 do not regret what you have become. 7. Never be jealous. 8. Never let yourself be saddened by separation. 9. Resentment and complaint are appropriate neither for oneself or others. 10. Do not let yourself be guided by the feelings of lust or love. 11. In all things, have no preferences. 12. Be indifferent to where you live. 13. Do not pursue the taste of good food. 14. Do not hold on to possessions you no longer need. 15. Do not act following customary beliefs. 16. Do not collect weapons or practice with weapons beyond what is useful. 17. Do not fear death. 18. Do not seek to possess either goods or thieves for your old age. 19. Respect Buddha and the gods without counting on their help. 20. You may abandon your own body, but you must preserve your honour. 21. Never stray from the way. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode and I hope you will continue to tune in for my future raids into history.